Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, we're finishing up a series today on the blessing. And uh, today, I tell you, is the most important uh, part of it. And it's about this. It's about the greatest blessing of all. And who's the greatest blessing of all is Jesus in our lives. The greatest blessing of our lives is Jesus. Why Jesus came. I want you to open up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And it starts with this guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Thank you. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You remember that? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. And what? To see what he could see, right? Or for the Lord to see. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was like the main tax collector. And tax collectors were, were, were uh, sort of like the bad guys of the day. And, um, well, sort of like today, right? <laughs> but he was a tax collector. He was sort of the bad guys of the day. But Zacchaeus, it said that he was short of stature. He was probably rich. He had some money. And, uh, and, and, uh, but he was ambitious, how do you know he was ambitious? Because all these crowds were around Jesus, and Zacchaeus said, well, I may be a little man, but I'm going to figure this one out. So he went and climbed up in a sycamore tree, and he's looking at Jesus, and I can imagine Jesus is walking along with the crowds, and he looks up in the tree, and he sees this man, hey, Jesus, <laughs> hey, he says, what's your name? I'm Zacchaeus, and Jesus looked at him, and you know what Jesus said, Zacchaeus, he, probably, he may have known who he was. He says, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And I can imagine religious people and Pharisees because they were always around Jesus. It seems like they were always around Jesus, not necessarily to receive, but sometimes to criticize his ministry. They didn't really like what he was all about. So what did they do? They, 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 you know, they're probably around looking at him. But Jesus said this verse in, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. It says this, for the son of man, he's talking about going to Zacchaeus' house. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Would you say that with me? For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus come to this earth? And I think if you just answered the simple reason why Jesus was here, it was to find lost people. See, sometimes it's easier to find found people because they're right, they're, you know, it's easier to find your keys when they're right on the counter. And you say, oh, oh, there they are. Well, they're right on the counter. Yeah, you didn't really lose them, right? But when they're underneath the bed, and you don't even know how they got there, right? They're underneath, you know, you ever see, they're in the laundry in, in a pair of pants and you're searching for them and you're looking for them. Jesus doesn't like to lose things. Jesus doesn't like to lose people. So it seemed like Jesus was constantly searching for lost things, lost People, I know they say when you get older, I say they say, because yeah, yeah, they, they say when you get older, you know, you start losing things and forgetting things and stuff like that. I'm not there yet, but that's what they tell me, okay? Yeah, you start losing things and forgetting things. But let me tell you, Jesus was always on the hunt, always on the search for lost things. He didn't like to lose things. Jesus came for lost people. 
It says in the book of Luke chapter 15, in fact, if you'll flip back there, four chapters, Luke chapter 15, he says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I like that, notorious sinners, you know. Hey, my name is uh, John. I'm a notorious sinner, <laughs> you know. I'm a sinner of note. You could write me down. I, people know about my sins, right? So what does he say? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Somehow he taught in a way that didn't turn people off. Sometimes, somehow he didn't snub his nose up at people like he was better than them or, or he didn't like them. You know why? Because Jesus came for them. Jesus came for lost people. In fact, if your religious speech turns off lost people, you're talking the wrong way. If your religious speech talks in a way that turns off sinners, you're talking the wrong way. Jesus talked in a way that, that sinners like to come hear him. They're like, hey, it's Friday night. You want to go to the bar? No, I want to go. I want to go listen to Jesus. He's got some good stories, right? They like to go listen to him. They like to go check out what he had to say. It says tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law ticked off. <laughs> Complain as they were associating with, he was associating with such sinful people and he even ate with them. He didn't just let them listen to him. He said, man, let's go eat some barbecue. <laughs> let's, go, let's go eat a meal together. See, sometimes people think, well, I'm not going to eat with him. He's a sinner. Jesus did. See, in, in, in fact, in the Bible, Paul said, don't eat with brothers who are turned over to sin. He didn't say sinners, right? Because why? Because Jesus was always looking to two things. Seek. In other words, he's looking out. He's finding out that person looks lost. <laughs> you, ever, you, ever, you ever look around and say, that person's lost. <laughs> in fact, sometimes you stop and go, do you know where you're going? <laughs> oh, no, I don't. Okay, because you looked, you look lost, so I want to help you. That's what Jesus did kind of spiritually. He'd look at people and say, you look lost. I'm going to find you. I'm hanging out with you today. Let's go out to lunch. He looked out for lost people. It says to seek and save. And the religious law, they complained that he was associating and even eating with them. So Jesus told them, told the religious people this story. In fact, he told them three stories. These three stories. He told him about a story of a lost sheep, told him about a story about a lost coin, he told him about a story about the lost son. He told him three stories to illustrate what his life's mission was all about. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'll tell you what Jesus Christ's main mission, as much as he appreciates our Easter service today, as much as he loves those who are sitting in church today, I'll tell you where his mind is and where his heart is. It's on people who aren't here. It's on people who are lost. It's on people who feel too guilty to come to church. It's on people who've been shamed, people who are underneath, people whose lives are jacked up and in ter turmoil and trouble. That's who Jesus' mind is on. And you may be sitting here today. Let me tell you, if that's you, Jesus' mind and heart is right there with you. He's with the broken. He's not with the religious, pious people. Oh, I have it all together, and I'm judging these people. When you walk in and you judge people, you have the same spirit of the devil, not the same spirit of the Lord. Jesus walks in to look. He's too interested in the lost people that he's not worried about all the found people. They, can, they were already found. I don't need to find them. They're already found. So Jesus tells these three stories. Number one, he tells about the lost sheep. You know about it. 
I'm not, I may not read all this, but he says this, verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, well, what's he going to do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that's lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. Say, I found my lost sheep. See, it's my lost sheep. You may not be interested with that sheep. Well, why are you going to all that trouble? Because it ain't your sheep. It's my sheep. See, Jesus cares about his sheep, about his stuff. He says, I found my lost sheep. And he says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. Why is he concerned about lost sheep? Because sheep to him, to the shepherd, is valuable. Why is he concerned about lost people? They're, they're, they've flipped off God in a sense. They've turned away from God. They've rejected God. Why does he care about them? Because they're lost and, and he calls them his. I died for them. I love them. Let me tell you, if you're lost, I think the Lord's just a little more close to you this morning. He has his eye a little bit more on you this morning. You know, we used to live in Anaheim, California, and and in Anaheim, Anaheim's known for Disneyland. Like people always say, where, do you, where did you live? I say, a California, which part? I say, Anaheim, Mickey Mouse, Disneyland, you know. In fact, in our backyard, we'd look and we'd see, you know, the fireworks every night and nine o'clock, first few nights, they're really cool until they start, you know, waking you up late at night and they're really not cool. But they were really cool. And we had Disneyland passes. And so we'd go to Disneyland all the time. You know, we have four kids. And so we'd go to Disneyland all the time and we'd, we'd go there. Well, I remember one time, you know, uh, uh, Tiffany has a sister and, uh, and, and brother-in-law and they have a bunch of kids too. And so we would all go sometimes to Disneyland together and we'd have a bunch of kids and they're running around. And, but they're different age kids. You know, like, like, like Zoe, our girl, she'd want to go ride on Little Mermaid and like the little rides. And then we have, you know, our other ones that were like, hey, I want to ride on, you know, big roller coasters and California Adventure and these kinds of things. And we're going to go. And they want to go different directions and different ways. And then you see Mama Hen down here and she's looking and she's like, no, you better stay with you because I know you, you get lost. And like Jesus, my eyes are on you. Okay. So you stay with him and you this and that. But I remember, and then we'd meet at certain times. We'd come back together like in, in 45 minutes, we're going to meet back at this place right in front of this thing. Okay. So we'd meet together. I remember one time though, we got together and all of us were meeting back together and we had Jake, our youngest and Jake, um, we're like, hey, where's Jake? Oh, well, they're all taking a bathroom break. He's probably in the bathroom. He's probably in the stall. You know, we're looking underneath. We're looking around. No, I walked in. I didn't see Jake. And then uh, we look outside. We look around. Oh, he's probably wandered off over to the water fountain. He's probably, no, we can't find Jake. And, you know, after th three or four minutes, we're like, where's Jake? <laughs> we can't find Jake. <laughs> and after about six minutes, it's like, where's Jake? And then it's after about eight minutes, it's like, where the heck's Jake? Where is Jake? Well, Dad, I want to go over on this wait a minute, I'm distracted with everything you want to do because I have one thing on my mind. And what's that one thing? It's Jake. Now, I have four kids. I didn't just say, well, I have three others. If he gets lost, <laughs> we're good. It's cheaper. It's better. It's easier. We can get by in life a little bit easier. No, you know what? Why did I care about the one? Because he's mine. He has a name. He's not just called a son. He's, he's called Jake. He has a purpose. He has something that I'm raising him to do. 
He has a life. He has destiny. He has hope. I remember feeding him. I remember loving him and mom loving him and doing all this. And all of a sudden, all these thoughts come into your mind. You know what? I remember we, us looking and saying, everyone, stop. Whatever you're doing, stop. I want to go, shut up. <laughs> Sit down. Stop. We're all looking for Jake. And we're not doing anything else till we find Jake. We were distracted from what we wanted to do by that which was lost. Can I tell you, that's the heart of the Lord. He gives these three parables here, and he says, you're all into your religion. Should we do this? Should we do that? We get into all this other stuff, but is our mind on what Jesus' mind is on? Are our eyes on what Jesus' eyes are on? So he says, this one had 99 other sheep, but he left them all because he had this one sheep that was his own. Then he tells about this lost coin. He says, there's suppose a woman. She had 10 silver coins and she loses one won't she light a lamp sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it when she finds it she'll call in her friends and her neighbors and say hey guess what i found my lost coin they're like big deal but it was her coin how many of you like to lose money yeah nobody likes it you may have you may have you know seven ten dollar bills in your in your your uh your your pocket but if you drop one you go where where is it where is it? Oh, I have six others. No, you don't do that. Why? Because that was your money. You earned it. It was yours, right? And he's saying, this woman has 10 coins and she loses one. She didn't just say, I already have nine others. No, what did she do? She dropped everything she had. She lit the lamps in her house. She searched. She swept. She got it all. And then when she found it, she like wanted to throw a party. Guess what? I found my coin. And they're like, what's the big deal? See, it wasn't their money. It was her coin. When he's talking about seeking and serving that which is lost, it's not just about losing something. It's about losing something that belongs to God. The lost is in God's eyes. It's his. And he wants to, he'll search and find you. He'll sweep. He'll turn on the lights until it's all found. He said he wants to find everything that's lost. I remember even Jesus, Jesus doesn't like to, find, uh, lose lost things either. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 that he said, let's feed all these people, the 5,000. He said, what do we have? And they said, well, bring the little boy's lunch. So he brought, uh, five loaves and two fish. And remember the Bible says he gave thanks. He blessed it. He broke it and he distributed it and they all ate. And then you know what happened when they all ate? He didn't go, Whew, glad that one's over. How did that work? I bet that one's going to get ripped up in the Bible, right? You know, he didn't just think about that. You know what he told him before? Hey, before you leave, gather up all the fragments so that nothing is lost. That sounds kind of cheap, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds kind of like, Jesus, the miracle's over, but you still, it's like, it's like you need to have a doggy bag to take home. You need to take the rest home. Seriously, Jesus. I mean, this was already a miracle. You should already be sad. No, gather the fragments, he said, so that nothing is lost. And you know how much they gathered? 12 baskets. Some people say, well, that maybe that was for the 12 disciples. Some people say maybe the 12 baskets went back to the little boy who gave the lunch, and that was kind of like multiplication or something. I don't know what it was for, but here's what I do know. Jesus doesn't like to lose things. Jesus doesn't like to lose things. And, and even more so, he doesn't like to lose people. And then he tells this final one about this lost son. This lost son. 
He says, to illustrate his point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Can you say two sons? One of them went away. Well, he, he should be fine. He still has one, right? No, one of them went away. He said, the younger one told his father, I want to share your estate now before you die. So this father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. Notice he divided it up right there. He sent one away. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land. You know what he did. He wasted his money. He got into uh, you know, uh, another job, and, and he ended up starving, feeding swine, feeding pigs, and then he came to himself. And he thought, I should go back home because I had it a lot better at home. What's interesting is if you look down in verse 20, I want you to look that. In verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. That, that part catches me every time I read that. The heart of the father is sitting on the porch. And he's looking out waiting for you to drive up. The heart of the father is sitting at the front of the house looking out and seeing when you're going to come home, seeing when you're going to return, see when you're going to come back to him, see when you're going to live under his house and under his calling and under his blessing and follow the plan that was destined for your life. It says, and while he was still afar off, Gavin, you can come up please. Says his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran, listen, he ran to his son. I know some people, they might go back inside and say, yeah, you owe me an apology. Yeah, you owe me something because you're the one who walked away, not me. You're the one who left me. I didn't leave you. But the Bible says he didn't do that. The father saw him coming. He was filled with love. He was filled with compassion. Notice what he did. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. What was he doing? His heart was on the lost. Not the found. Why? The founder found. Let me speak to the church for a minute. Church, our, our eyes, though we're here, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, to encourage one another. We're here to look for the lost and to help them come home. Let me speak to the lost for a moment. When you walk into God's house, God's house is not here to condemn you. God's house here is to welcome you and kiss you and love you and hug you and embrace you and welcome you home. Not so that, not for the home, the home's good. But for the son, for the daughter, for you. So he returned, the Bible says, home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming with love. He embraced him, he kissed him. He came back and said, father, I've sinned. What was the response of the father? It says in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have some barbecue. We're going to enjoy this moment. 
For this son of mine was dead. Now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And he said, let the party begin. No guilt, no pressure. Yeah, but shouldn't he have told him so that he's not lost again? Shouldn't he? I think when you're lost, you already know that you're lost. I think when, you're, when you've sinned, you already know that you're guilty. I think when you're underneath and in the pit, you don't need to be shamed anymore. The best thing for you is the love and the embrace and the kiss of a father to say, son, you're home. See, it's the, it's the who is Jesus telling this parable to? To the Pharisees, because they didn't get it. They were all about how are things looking in church? How are things looking with our religion? And Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. It's about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. No guilt trip. Bring the best robe. Jesus says, I've covered you with the robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any, therefore him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. That's what it says. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. One of the things the Bible says we ought to do, put on the whole armor of God, and one of the parts of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you, one of the things that the Lord wants to do to lost people is to put clothing of righteousness over you and to tell you, you're righteous because I say you are, not because you have to stand up for yourself, not because you have to prove something. He says he put on this robe on his son, a robe of honor. He put rings on his uh, finger. Why rings? Because he needed some gold bling? No, it was because rings will represent this authority. When you have a ring, it shows authority. I put sonship back on you, son. You don't have to come back and earn it. After three months, I'm going to do this. And after three, no, he said, bring the best robe. Throw it on him. Bring the rings. Put authority back in him. He says, put shoes on his feet. Man, pull out those, those new Air Jordans I just ordered. Rare version. Put those on his feet. Rare. Other son, I've been waiting for those, Father. No, I'll give them to the son that's lost. What? I don't get it. I'm going to honor you. Why? Because my mind's on the lost. I'm sorry, son. My mind's on the lost. And then he says, and kill that fatted calf. Let's barbecue. Let's, let's have a party. Christians don't understand this sometimes. I love John 3.16, but I love John 3.17. It says, God's sin is sent into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. I love that. God's sin is sent not to judge the world, but to save the world. Yeah, but if there's not judgment, they're, gonna, they're not going to repent. The book of Romans says that it's God's goodness that leads people to repentance. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I've tried to run away from God a couple of times in my life. I remember, I remember, I just said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And I tried to run away from the Lord and the goodness of God, the love of God chased after me, surrounded me, flooded me, wouldn't let me go, told me how much he loved me when I was a wreck when I was in sin, when I was in bondage, when I turned away from him, he still loved me. And I couldn't run away from the love anymore. He pursued me. I couldn't run away from the love anymore. 
He freed me. And because of that, that's how I know that there's nobody that God gives up on. But what about this person? Oh, shut up. The biggest desire of Jesus is for his lost sons and daughters to be back home in fellowship. He's the God of second chances and third chances. <laughs> what about fourth? And fourth chances. Somebody say, and fifth chances, and tenth chances, and eleventh chances, and a hundredth chances. God will keep believing in you. God will keep, well, what if I ran away again? God will stay on his porch till you come back home again. Why? Because his goal is the lost. Let me close with this story today. I remember hearing about Michelangelo. The sculptor, he would take marble and he would sometimes take a piece of marble and he would look and see what was in that marble. And then he would walk around that marble, sometimes for days. He would walk around that marble, walk around that marble. Can you give me some? Thank you, He would walk around that marble, sometimes for days. And as he walked around it, he would begin to look and see rock and pebble and things that held the image of that marble it wasn't there. So he'd take away that rock and he'd take away that pebble and he'd walk around and he'd see it and he'd begin to take away. He'd take away things that were holding that image from what it was supposed to be. But he'd continue to walk around it until eventually the image was what it was. But he had to keep taking away until the image became what it was intended to be in his mind. I remember hearing about another sculptor. He was a wood carver. And he, he would tell about this wood uh, uh, sculpting that he had right at the front of his house. Right when you walk in, you'd see this beautiful, people would comment on it all the time. And one time he stopped and he said, let me tell you the real story about that. He said, when I first saw this uh, piece of wood, he said, I began to uh, look and see what it was supposed to be according to its shape and stuff. And he said, and I thought, I'm going to make this into a beautiful bird with the wings out, and it's going to be a beautiful sculpting. And he began to, uh, you know, wood carve, and he carved the image out, and he carved the image out, and he got to a certain place. It was about halfway through or so. He got to a certain place, I think a little bit farther than that, and the wing broke off because he just hit something wrong one day. And you know what he did? He said, you know, some people would have taken that and thrown it away. He said, but I looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to step back and see. Now what is it supposed to be? He said, and he looked at that thing and he'd walk around that thing. And he carved that into a beautiful torso. The upper torso of a person. And he said, now people will look and say, that's so beautiful. Look at how it is. And he said, but do you think I ever tell them what it was originally supposed to be see that's what God does sometimes is when he sees things broken off in our lives he sees things because maybe our own choices that have fallen away have broken have been altered have been tested I'll tell you what God will do just like that sculptor he would take you he'll turn you around and I'll tell you he'll make you back into a perfect design and when people look and say you're made perfect do you think he'll ever go back and tell people what you lost Jesus is looking for you to be found. 
for you to be made into his image, into his likeness, into his glory, into the purpose that he wants you to be. You're not God, but you're made in the image of God. Would you just bow your heads right where you are and just say, God, maybe you're lost in an area. Just say, God, I return to you today. Christians, would you just pray for those who are maybe far from God today? Lord, I pray for every person that's in this room today. Your goodness is running after me. You turn graves into gardens. You turn junk into masterpieces. And Lord, I thank you today that you turn every heart toward you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.